today's episode of Vice Versa, we're talking about how much EV range do you actually need, the NHTSA calling Tesla's full self-driving misleading, GM's new electric motors, Tesla mega packs, and more. Going back to normal, I'm joined by my partner in crime again, Ricky Roy. How you doing, Ricky? Doing good, Matt. Welcome back. We're back. We're both yes. back together again. Last week, I think I was gone. We had I think the guest. We had a guest before that, but we were here. Anyways, we're back, and it feels yes. good. Um, I missed you guys last week. I watched the show. How are you doing? Pretty good. We missed you. We missed you last week, but Alex uh, subbed in and did a great job. It's always fun talking to him. As always. On the show. He's, yeah. he's awesome. Definitely hope you guys have been checking him out. Maddie, what was your video this week? I'm curious. Uh, the video this week was, um, I'm actually blanking on it, it was about algae. Algae is a new plastic. I did one on fungus as a possible new plastic, and this one was about algae and how we can put that to use. That's fantastic. Our video this week was about modular nuclear reactors, a topic you've covered. Fantastic video you had as well. Um, you know, it's this clean thing that we were all talking about. It was supposed to be the, the savior of energy. But in the last couple of decades, it's been on the decline. And there's a couple of reasons for it. And I think this technology could potentially address it. So definitely exciting stuff. Um, so yes, check out both those videos. They're linked in the description if you, have, if you haven't already. And uh, ready to get started the show? Let's get started. Our first story is about the longest range electric vehicles you can buy. So the thing that we had in our thumbnail was about this 500 range EV, which of course is the Lucid Air. But they break this down into different categories of cars you can buy today. So the Model 3 is a is a, is a real champ. The Model Y is pretty close up there as well. This is the California Route 1 Edition Mach-E, which is estimated to have about 305 miles of range. Definitely an awesome car. I think those are available now. The Kona, is in kind of the next tier, 258 miles, kind of in the bolt range of cars. The Taycan, which is, we've Matt and I have both driven this and talked about this, but it has a stated 227 miles of range, but that's way understated. It could, it's going to go further than that for sure. And then, of course, the new Kings. We got the, the new refreshed Model S uh, coming in around 400 miles, and the new Model X, I think, is you know, around 360 but there is officially a new king, as according to the EPA, the Lucid Air uh, Grand Touring is 516 miles. The Dream Edition Performance is 400-something, and the range version is 520. So they have three different variations. I think it's a good sign when the company made that designation. So the Dream Edition, which is the highest-end spec, has two models, the Performance version and the range version. So I think what they were realizing is with the 1,111 horsepower, whatever that crazy car has they were not able to hit that 520 so they made a 900 or some other you know crazy bonkers number car that could hit that number so i think they're close and i'm actually going to be at lucid's factory in arizona next week so stay tuned we'll i'll talk about that but we have a new king in town and this you know they were boasting about this quite a bit on social media but yes the question remains and the rivians are uh, a little bit behind because they're not quite as efficient. They're a little more truckish. That you know, I think the arrow is not as not quite as good. The battery packs are bigger, but they're going to be around 400 miles of range as well. So, Matt, what do you what do you make of this? The question that we asked on the the thumbnail, the title is, "Do you need 500 miles of range? Like, how much is enough? Or yeah. how important is range? Is it is it uh, needed at this point? What what's your take on that? Yeah, well, it's Elon's got a lot of notoriety when he was saying that he thinks most people don't need more than 400 miles. And I kind of agree with him. I, I kind of look at the mileage that we are talking about. It's kind of like efficiency when you're talking about solar panels. It's kind of like a red herring. It's not range. Ultimately, it doesn't matter. It's the whole user experience. It's how fa fast does it take to charge? How 
frequent are the chargers on your road trip. It's the whole thing that matters the most. So it's like, I remember in college, I had a uh, little Hyundai that was this little like crappy little car and it didn't, it had a tiny tank. So like when I would drive like 400 miles, I would have to stop two or three times to fill it up, but it only took five minutes to fill up. So you never even think about it. So it's like when we get to that point in the user experience of our electric vehicles, having 500 miles or 400 miles or 300 miles ultimately doesn't matter too much. If the user experience of driving it on a long road trip, you're able to easily find fast charging and fast charging is crazy fast. So like right now, I think that's one of the things that's holding back EVs is that even if you had a 500 mile car, you're still talking about needing, you know, 45 minutes at a fast charger to get it from zero to 80%. And for a lot of people, that time is where they're kind of like balking. It's like, cause it takes me five minutes to fill up my tank, but it takes 45 minutes to go from zero to 80%. So once you start to kind of factor in charge times and frequency of charging, in addition to the range, that's the full picture. So I think all of us who are EV fans obsessing over the range of this is 500 miles, so that makes it better. It's like that to me is kind of a, a false equivalence, especially when you're talking about average Americans and most people around the world driving less than 50 miles a day. So it's like day to day absolutely doesn't matter. It's only really road trips. So that's kind of my basic take on it. It comes down to user experience. It's a really good point you made about the kind of being a red herring in terms of the efficiency of a solar panel. Really, just get more panels if you have roof space. It doesn't really matter. I, I think I agree with you on that point. I I am kind of excited about the 500 miles of range for the yeah. uh, for lucid <laughs> yeah. air. And yeah. the reason is, I, I think I've told you this before, but my parents live 450 miles away in the Bay Area, and I live in San Diego. So currently, we do two charge stops. Typically, the first charge stop is totally welcomed. We have lunch. You know, we take a little break. The second one is typically the one where it was like, you know, if I didn't have to stop right now, I wouldn't mind just keep on driving. So depending on your habits, like if you drive long distances, Matt, you've mentioned you drive up to New York to visit your mom and dad and your brother and stuff. So that's not quite the range that it is here in California. I know California is a crazy long state. It's like Texas. You can be driving for hours and still be there. But the second thing too is if you follow those rules, kind of like the depth of discharge, don't ever go below 20%. And you don't ever charge above like 80%. Elon's even said, if you can charge less than 70, if you can keep it in that sweet spot, the degradation levels are so low. You could potentially be driving these cars forever. And with 500 miles of range, even if you follow those rules, you're still at about 300 miles of usable range, yep. which is exciting, right? That's kind of cool. Um, my model three gets about 270 miles on a full hundred percent charge. And I, when I go on road trips, I do that. So I could, potentially be seeing more degradation as a result. But yeah, I hear you. it's probably not too pressing, but the cool thing with the Lucid is they achieved that with really good efficiency. It wasn't just like they slammed a lot more batteries. There are mm -hmm. more batteries, I think it's like 113 kilowatt battery pack versus a hundred kilowatt for the Model S, but their efficiency numbers are close to like the Model 3, which is like the king of efficiency. So right. they achieved that range the smart way, which is what um, I think is exciting about it. Yeah, that's kind of where I was kind of coming from is it's those other, it's, it's the full picture. So like Lucid finding ways to be more efficient with their car to eke more range out of a comparable battery is where I think the biggest bang for the buck we're going to start to see where it's like Tesla's going to get better and better about their range, but not necessarily make their packs bigger. It's like, that's where we start to get kind of the reap the benefits of this. So for me, it's like, I'm the same camp. It's like my model three, I do not get over 270 miles anymore. And I was supposed to get 310, 315 when it was brand new and now I'm getting 270 when I fully charge it. So there's been degradation and that's totally fine. I knew that was going to happen. Uh, it, but 
I had never run into problems because I'm on the Tesla supercharger network, just like you. So it's like when I drive to go visit my parents, there's superchargers everywhere and it coincides with stopping for a lunch break. So you charge up. So it's like from my point of view, from a user experience point of view, it didn't really change my driving that much at all, even though it added maybe 20 to 30 minutes to the road trip to go see my parents. That doesn't matter. It's like that's the part that I think a lot of people who are not in the EV camp are struggling with trying to understand that that's a possibility. And then those of us that are in the EV camp are just talking about like, oh, ooh, 500 miles of range. And it's kind of like, no, it's the user experience. It's the user experience. Look at the whole the whole picture. I think the the audience definitely agrees with you. Sar Yogev says, definitely don't need 500 miles when my country is 250 miles long. <laughs> <laughs> it's a really good point. And this is what's always funny about Europe. When my friends and family visit us in California, like you, you can drive 10 hours and still be in California. In Europe, you drive 10 hours, you could have crossed like four uh, international lines. So that's that's a really good point. Depending on where you live, it could be overkill. But I think most of the viewers agree with you in terms of the experience of it. Uh, somebody mentioned it's far more important to have the charging infrastructure in place um, and the charge rate and all those kind of factors that go into it. I'm not seeing the comment right now. But um, yeah, it's, it's a really good point. If like, for example, Tesla's is a dream because you never have to stress about it. Mm-hmm. there's options. You could even be like, oh, well, how are you guys feeling? We can drive another 40 minutes or we can have lunch now or later. There's so many options that it make, becomes really easy and you can trust it. When the car says, go here and charge, I know it will work because it's telling me like in real time, two stalls available, five stalls available. So I'm very confident it's going to work, which is not true for every car. We've talked about right. this in the past. The EA um, availability is kind of questionable at times. So I would always recommend using like a smartphone app like have your co-pilot if you've got one, kind of double check what the car is saying to make sure because you don't want to get stuck. And I, I have been stuck before. Yeah, a friend of mine has a Mustang Mach-E. Loves that car. I've, I've had, a, he let me drive it a little bit. Amazing car. He drove it from here in Massachusetts down to Texas and then back. And he documented his entire experience. And to say it was a hellish experience would be an understatement. And that car has good range. That car has as good of a range as my Model 3. But his experience was like, would be night and day for what I would have experienced if I did the same trip in my Model 3. So many chargers being broken down, getting to chargers where there was just like one charger and it's broken and the next closest one is 70 miles away or getting to a location that the car is telling him to go to and it's a level two charger, it's not a fast charger. Oh, I'm going to be here for four hours trying to top it up enough so I can get to the next charger, which is a fast charger. The user experience around the charging, I think, is the biggest linchpin in this entire conversation. Very good point. Very good point. Who is this? Question mark has a good point. He says, stop looking at range <laughs> as range. Yeah, I like, good, good uh, username. Great He's username. been here before I, I recognize him. He says, towing, inclement weather, real world range, 80 miles an hour on the freeway, all lower range. Very true. Tell me, Matt, if you're going 80 miles an hour, are you getting 270 miles on your Tesla? I don't no. think I am. Right. No. So 500 miles, let's say that means 400 factoring all these kinds of things, or in a really cold New England winter's day when you're running the heater and the battery's heating, yep. potentially there's some stuff there as well. And the bottom line is like, I think nobody should be saying that we don't need more range, but it's only a part of a bigger piece. Is that fair to say? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, but I, so, people are, people have opinions about this one. This is good. I figured it, I figured as much when we, yeah. when we made it our kind of leading story. Well, the next one, which is kind of related, um, we're jumping into Tesla, and uh, the NTSB Uh-oh. saying that Tesla's self-driving beta <laughs> is misleading and irresponsible ahead of a wider release. 
Um, and this kind of follows up about a month ago. It was the NHTSA opened up an investigation into the 11 crashes that autopilot has had with emergency responder vehicles. Uh, so there's kind of like this culmination of things happening. Now, the NTSB does not have the power to actually shut anything down. They can make recommendations, but it's the um, NHTSA that has the kind of the teeth that they can actually do something if they find something kind of hinky, which I doubt they're going to, but we'll find out. The reason I thought this story was really interesting was the debate around full self-driving and the even though, what, what, how are you feel about the, the head of the NTSB saying these comments about it being misleading and irresponsible, how do you feel about the labeling of full self-driving? Because this is technically, and I know this, I may not have a popular stance here. This is not full self-driving. This is not self-driving. This is still a level of two driver assist feature that's being labeled as full self-driving, which creates this misperception it's a communications issue in the marketplace, and it allows people like the head of the NTSB to kind of latch onto that. And this kind of comes back to something that I bring up a lot with Tesla is their communication, their public relations, they tend to trip themselves up. And I think there is a pretty good compelling argument to make that full self-driving is not the best branding for what they're currently building. Will it be full self-driving in time? Yes, I, I don't doubt that it will be, but for right now and for the next few years, it's probably just going to be a level two a driver assist feature, but because of how they've labeled it and how they're selling it, there's a misperception in the marketplace. There's a misperception in government circles that could create severe problems for Tesla as they try to roll this feature out. What's, what's your take on it? I think you hit it on the head. It really is kind of a, almost kind of a, a legalese lawyer debate more than anything else, because it's really not a question of the technology. And I do agree that the labeling is, so like, for example, Ford calls her blue cruise. Yeah. Uh, GM is super cruise. No, like nobody's suing GM saying, Hey, wait a second. Super, super cruise refers to an aircraft that can fly above the speed of sound without afterburners. And I'm not going 800 miles an hour. No one's saying that because that's clearly just marketing, right? There's no... Um, deeper meaning to it. Whereas full self-driving means something. And yes. I actually don't even like that term. It's a mouthful. Autopilot. I love that word. I love mm -hmm. autopilot. My car has autopilot and it feels like an aircraft, right? You can get in and just let it go. So I would have, if I were Tesla, I, uh, to your point about kind of the marketing of it, I would probably have come up with something around autopilot or like full autopilot or something along those lines. But really it's, I mean, it's not an engineering thing. They're working on like the most cutting edge self-driving tech in the world there's going to be some issues. And I think what the uh, NTSB was saying, by the way, yeah, the NTSB, I didn't even know they were involved in automobiles. They're the agency you call when there's a plane crash. So they'll mm -hmm. come out and do a full investigation and their recommendations carry a lot of weight there. So like, for example, if a couple of crashes happen, they'll come out and say, you have a faulty blank and their word will result in like Boeing or Airbus making like retrofit changes to aircraft. Whereas here, like you mentioned, it really doesn't seem to have much t in the way of teeth. NHTSA, the other organization, is really what drives the changes here. And I think their problem with it is that what if somebody who doesn't know better, I don't think I know what FSD is. I think you know what FSD is. Yeah. Most of the people I think do. But what if someone didn't and they thought full self-driving, they could like go read a book in the back and or something, right? And they're thinking that, I mean, it's it, it's a question of le like who's in, who's responsible Who's liable? Is there like, a, yeah, it's the lawyer stuff. I it's the edge, it's the edge cases that worry me because it's those edge cases that mean we can't have nice things because there are going to be people 
They go in with false expectations as to what it can do. They misuse it because they don't read all the documentation when it pops up on your screen saying you have to pay attention, you have to do X, Y, and Z, and they just kind of tap through it and don't pay attention, and then they abuse the system and don't use it properly. That's why we can't have nice things. And so it's a, for me, it's, it's a concern around the, the communication, the labeling, and the understanding. And I think you hit it on the head with the example of Blue Cruise. It's like there's an abstracted name, a brand that they can stand behind, and it doesn't set false expectations as to what it can do. And eventually, Blue Cruise may end up turning into a total self-driving system in, in itself. But because it's called Blue Cruise, it can evolve over time, and the expectations of what the system can deliver can evolve. Where full self-driving, right out of the gate, you expect it to be doing self-driving, and it doesn't out of the gate. Like right now, even when they roll out the features for all of us to try in beta, it's still a level two driver assist feature. You still have to be fully attentive and in control of the vehicle at all times. And that's not self-driving. So it's it's one of those, yeah, branding and communication. Part of the onus of why this is a story today in particular is that they are going to be rolling out the beta, their latest and greatest flavor of this yeah. to more people. So during a wider rollout, they're kind of thinking, if we've seen some issues. And again, I think it's been largely overblown. So I guess I can kind of switch gears and we can talk in Tesla's favor for a second. So most of the stories I've been hearing are absolutely absurd where they've been blaming full self-driving for, for things or FSD or autopilot. And um, it could be like some person who's drunk behind the wheel whose car wouldn't stop. I, I just saw this in the news where police had to chase this woman whose car was driving itself. And it was an autopilot. So the only way to stop it was to get in front of her and then slow down. And the car just came to a stop. And then the cops pulled her out, passed out drunk or, or something like that. Mm. And so one of the, I mean, the comments go back and forth, like all these things that we talk about. But one of them is like, okay, well, would you rather have her not had autopilot? She would have yeah. probably been crashed on the side of the road somewhere. Maybe something much, much worse, probably something much worse. So um, this is really good technology. We should break that apart and Tesla's working on some of the greatest, coolest stuff there is. They're far ahead of everybody else. They're doing great work. This really is kind of the the naming and stuff, and if that matters. But I have always wondered, you notice how Tesla has very little in the way of like disclaimers. I got into a rental car the other day, and before I could do anything, they had those like, these huge novels of disclaimers. Yeah. You And have to agree, and I won't do this, and I can't do this when I'm driving. You can't input an address when you're driving. I can do that on my Tesla. I always wondered, how do they get away with it when nobody else does? Is it just their legal teams are kind of more blase-faire and, and compared to everybody else? I don't know what it is exactly, but... I think it's a dial of like how other companies are the legal teams have a lock hold on everything. They want to protect the company at all costs. And that's right. why you see that where Tesla's being a little more adventurous, I would say. Yeah. In how they're I love it. that. That's part of why I love Tesla. Like the less <laughs> the lawyers are involved, I think the better always. But on that note, I do think they could do something like when you activate it, they could have something very clear flash up on the screen for just for a couple seconds. You don't even have to tap it, make it go away, but just maybe an image of a driver that's attentive behind the wheel saying, remember, keep attention at all times. And then it goes away. It's something super simple and stupid. Sure. But it's like that could help those edge cases from potentially happening. So we'll have to wait and see. I just hope that we can figure out something here so that this doesn't make the news so that Tesla can just do the work (laughs) of the great work they're doing and not deal with this BS. That's really where it comes down to, right? I think we're both proposing options to let's let the engineers do their great work let's not bother them with with all this stuff um, right and part of the ways you got to grow is you got to expand your beta pool at some point that's what they're going to do so it's all good stuff hopefully they can they can make it work in a safe and clear manner so up next general motors unveils new electric motors that will power its future ev starting with the hummer so we've talked a little bit about how when you're building electric vehicles, you have a lot of options. You can buy stuff off the shelf. 
like for example, I, I think I was reading that Porsche was buying its motors for the Taycan, and that's why they were they went with a two speed gearbox versus Tesla, who does all their stuff in house. So as you mature as a company, you really got to build all this stuff yourself if you want to ink out every last bit of performance or um, or efficiency. For example, Lucid famously has you know they do their own motors and they have all these IP and patents around it, uh, just like Tesla does. To, to help it. And those are the kinds of benefits that you have over your competitors if you if you vertically integrate and build your stuff, uh, build the stuff yourself. So GM now is going to be moving to better and latest, greatest technologies. When the Bolt first came out, they mentioned that was like a lifetime ago in 2016. And, you know, they were maybe not the most cutting edge stuff. So here here's a breakdown of some of their different various options for motors. They have a 180 kilowatt front permanent magnet um, electric motor in the front. Again, permanent magnet, DC, that, 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 these are all like the kind of the latest and greatest stuff. A 255 kilowatt rear and front drive permanent magnet motor. So this is the higher end version. Uh, then there's a 62 kilowatt all-wheel drive assist induction motor. So this is the one induction motor. And I'm wondering how exactly that kind of comes into the equation. But um, they've got these different platforms that they can they can build out. So I, I think that they mentioned that they're going to have these 255 kilowatt motors on all four wheels for the Hummer EV. Mm -hmm. giving it those crazy numbers. So that's kind of the flexibility, which is cool. This is part of why I love electric vehicles so much. You have all this kind of design flexibility that just was not possible. Looking look at the windings and stuff. I don't know if they've mentioned that they have anything in particular. I like that Lucid kind of gave details about what they're doing that that's special. But here, um, this is part of their Ultium, Ultium package. It really helps to, uh, they kind of also do the inverters and the motor controllers the power electronics and stuff. They mentioned that they're going to be able to kind of combine some of this stuff. This is really the same as uh, I'm going to keep talking about Lucid because they're the last ones I heard talk about this stuff, but similar kinds of approaches to minimizing on the number of components, simplifying a lot less mass, for example, better capabilities. So yeah, GM is showing off what they're going to be doing from the motor side. I actually would rather have seen a video or a, a topic talking about their battery side, which, um, is what I'm curious about from you. You know, they, they've, they've gotten a little bit of flack recently for battery fires and the whole yeah. handling of it. I yeah. was kind of reading from from some of the comments in various places before we started the show, but people mentioned uh, in my, I think it was my Discord. I think it was Bong Hollywood who sh who's probably in the chat today mentioned in my Discord that like Hyundai Kia had issues too. The Kona had some problems, but what they did there was was really about protecting the brand. They bottom back they recalled it they took care of it whereas gm was kind of way late to the game they just kind of started blaming lg but there's so many intermediary steps that they could have taken and stuff so i think the handling of that was really bad and what kind of scares me is tesla has gone with the cylindrical battery for their stuff mm -hmm. and seemingly everybody else has gone with this pouch style the lg chem batteries that were in the bolt were pouch style you never heard about these huge tesla problems with batteries the way they have had happened with lg and gm so the ultium is also a pouch style battery mm -hmm. and the new motors are cool i love it it's really cool but i think at this point in time i want to know about the battery and why whatever they're doing next is going to be better than what they have now what do you, what's your take on this well i can't remember it was just like when, when they announced ultium they did talk about the batteries a little bit they talked about the cooling systems that they've got for those pouch style batteries as something that they were kind of touting a little bit I hope it turns out to be true that they've designed these in an intelligent way. I mean, Elon has said that he thought pouch style was a little harder to manage the heating and cooling of compared to a cylindrical, uh, which would explain why they're sticking with cylindrical for all the Tesla battery packs. 
I'm not gonna pass judgment on the Ultium design until we start seeing them out in the wild and get more details on it and how they actually perform. But I think it's a it's an engineering problem I think they could probably overcome. Uh, but it kind of, this whole story, but the reason it kind of piqued my interest was when you look at all the companies that are trying to transition into electric, there's all these kind of signs I'm looking for of like, which ones are taking it more seriously? Oh, GM's building their own gigafactories. Okay, they're taking this seriously. They're designing their own uh, motors, their own components. They're not going to be taking off-the-shelf parts for core aspects that are EV platform anymore. And to me, that's another sign of them taking this very seriously. And kind of to go back to the article just for a quick second, the, the, this thing, <laughs> this is the uh, Ultium drive controller, which houses the inverter, the charging module, which reduces the costs, the weight, and the manufacturing complexity. This reminded me of the Octovalve, like in the Model 3. It's like they're rethinking how the car has to be built to really minimize the number of parts and the complexity of putting it together, how to make it super efficient and cost-effective yeah. to make these vehicles. And when I saw this in the article, I was like, oh, hell yeah, this is awesome. This is like, this is some innovation coming from GM about how to optimize their LTM platform to make it really flexible and not using off-the-shelf parts. They're looking at it as the whole package, which is very smart. Um, so it's like VW and GM are doing this. I'm, I'm assuming, I'm hoping Ford is doing similar things to this. If you look at the Mustang Mach-E, I would say they're not doing this because there's a lot of off-shelf parts inside the Mustang Mach-E. Um, I don't know if you did you actually look under the hood at the whole stuff that's in there because it's crazy what's in the Mustang yeah. Mach-E. The amount of cabling and like tube and everything it's just it's nuts. And then you look in a uh, Model Three and it's you actually have a frunk. <laughs> it's like because there's nothing there. Exactly. It's so optimized. So I'm hoping that GM is heading down this path just like Tesla did. Um, so for me, this is exciting from a point of view of it looks like GM really is going to handle this transition to electric pretty well. It's, it looks like they're trying to set themselves up for success. And even though they've botched some of the recent stuff with the with the battery recall, they are finally doing right by the customers, which is the important thing. They've fixed all the issues, but the way they handled it was not not good. But hopefully they've learned a lesson from this and there's signs of life for where they're going from here. Yeah, the the Wonder Box came to, came to mind. Uh, something that Lucid is working on, as far as like a kind of reimagining and a repackaging to save on weight and stuff. Yeah, I'm with you. I really do hope hope that this is a the start of something better. The the Maki teardown, the Sandy Monroe that you referenced, was really um, enlightening to me. It, I always kind of thought these guys build cars. They've been building cars for a long time. They're going to get that part of it right. It might not have a nice UI or software. It might not be as cool or something else, but they'll get the hard, the engineering bits down. But you realize like that wasn't exactly the case. And I, we mentioned in the show before the Mach-E was kind of, it didn't feel like platformatized, if you will. It didn't feel reusable and like, you know, really modular. It felt like kind of a one-off to me. Whereas what they're doing with Ultium, uh, what GM is doing with Ultium is far more of a modular approach. Take these motors, this battery configuration, and build a car. Somebody in the in the chat section mentioned that the Hummer EV battery area seems really deep. It's almost as if they're stacking two uh, two cells high. That's exactly what they're doing. In the Ultium presentation, they mentioned that, uh, and to do this, you have to have really good cooling because like that heat rise is why normally you don't stack batteries like this. But yeah, they mentioned that you can have you know small passenger sedan, or you can go to full rate configuration and have a double stack, which is what they're going to do for the Hummer EV. So 
I, I hope yeah. that they've got this figured out. I hope when there's a if if there's a teardown, like let's say the the Hummer EV, which was they've been like you know advertising it and all this stuff. If Sandy Monroe tears that down and it still seems not reimagined, not really well thought out, that's going to be a really embarrassing look for GM. I think yeah. it's important that they figure this out and and, and do a good job of it. I, I hope them well, but I mean, yeah, they've. I think at this point they've got to prove prove that their their cars are going to be awesome at this point. I think that's kind of the way I feel about it. Okay, so for the next story, this is kind of a one-two punch. It's actually two stories I kind of want to cover here. This first one, they're both Tesla Megapack related, is they're building a Tesla Megapack combined with solar to replace a 562 megawatt coal plant. It's one of the largest coal plants in New Mexico that's going to be getting replaced by this setup. And in the, in the setup, uh, what was it? Uh, it's replacing the coal plant, which costs about $45 per megawatt hour for production in 2018 and 2019. And they were considering potentially doing something like a retrofitting the coal plant with carbon capture to make it clean coal. But that project was projected to be about $1.5 billion to do. And in comparison, going solar with a battery is going to give you a reduced per megawatt hour cost and costs less to build out than retrofitting this old coal power plant, which is why it's getting retired. And they were trying to hold on to it to keep those jobs. And I, I this controversial statement, but I, I, why I admire that they're trying to hold people's jobs. There are so many more jobs and so much more potential in the green energy industry than in coal. It's important to keep looking forward, not back. And there is so many jobs opening up in green energy. It's kind of incredible. But this ties into... This other story that we wanted to kind of cover, Tesla breaks new ground on a mega factory and they broke ground on this in, where was it? It's in Lathrop, Lathrop California. 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 Yeah. yeah. And I found this fascinating that they're building a mega, mega factory to build the mega packs that are used in installations like this story we just talked about. And it's curious that they're not doing this in the Nevada Gigafactory and one of the kind of like thinking around that is because this might be uh, logistics because they've announced that they're using LFP batteries for their Megapack installations, and that's going to be provided by CATL. So having this in Lathrop is probably good for logistics and operations for assembling these Megapacks from batteries that are shipped over from China. So it may be why they're they're building it there. Uh, But this is just, to me, an exciting kind of like a little announcement from the Tesla Energy Division of it's really cool to see this kind of ramping up because we're going to see more and more of these installations replacing coal peaker plants, natural gas peaker plants. It's just going to continue the trickle over the next few years. And it's neat to see them building out a mega factory. What's what's your take on this? Yeah, this this is this is a fun one. Again, I Tesla like absolutely perplexes me. I've always been told you can't start a business in California. Like it's impossible. And here they are producing automobiles, <laughs> which I did not think was possible. I, it's a very expensive state. We were just talking about this before the show. Real estate, labor prices, electricity prices. It's like the craziest place to do business. And yet Tesla seemingly does it. So what are we missing? What is everybody else missing is what I always wonder. Tesla is just another. I think we need to award Tesla the job of doing the high speed transit uh, rail system that we've been talking about in California for the, for the longest time. And it'll never happen unless apparently Tesla does it because they'll, they'll figure it out. So there's something there. There's something with Tesla on how they do business that is just amazing. But this is really interesting. I hate the idea of spending like 
putting bad money after good. Is that, is that the expression? Like wasting your money on something stupid like a coal plant. Retrofitting a coal power plant is not a good idea because even if you get into carbon capture and try to clean it up a little bit, it's still going to be cost prohibitive in, in, in a matter of years. So you're spending money for nothing. If that is, the, it's kind of like if you have an old car and it's just constantly breaking down and costing you money, at some point you're better off saying, get rid of this car, sell it for whatever I can and buy a new car. Because otherwise you're going to probably in the next 10 years spend as much money and you have an old crappy car compared to a new car. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of my take on it generally. And I do love that they're building a mega factory for mega packs, which is interesting. It is a weird move. You mentioned the logistics supply chain kind of kind of benefits there. Um, Lathrop and 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 Sparks Nevada aren't that far apart. Uh, kind of wondering if, yeah, I'm not exactly sure their thought process there. Yeah, especially California prices and stuff. But it's going to be super awesome. I love that they're using lithium iron phosphate. Definitely chemistry for this for this application. And how cool is that? I mean, they're building more and more of these battery packs. Um, and clearly there's there's interest and demand. So there's going to be that customer who's looking to buy this stuff. And in some cases, like Hornsdale in Australia and some other installations, it was like life or death. Like it was hugely required. But I think as they build out a mega factory for this particular task, we can we can see more municipalities adding this just to save money and add redundancy and backup power and stuff. So I love it. Love Love hearing about this. Yeah, the fact that it's going to be dedicated to mega packs to me says it avoids distraction inside the gig factory. They can keep that humming along the way it's currently working, and they don't have to distract themselves with rolling, spinning up a separate line. This won't get distracted by any of that. It's completely separate from car manufacturing, from the batteries that are being used in cars. It's completely separate. So I, I just wonder if it's just a operational logistics kind of point point of view of just. But but your point is correct. Of like why Lathrop. It's like, wouldn't there be a more affordable place to do this than than doing this in California? Like, I'm assuming Nevada would have, if they wanted to spin something else up in Nevada, they probably would have been happy to do that with huge discounts and tax breaks and things like that. So I'm curious. I wonder if we'll ever find out what the story is behind this. I'm sure the big commercial customers for electricity, for example, pay a lot less than we do residentially. But still, I'm I'm going to go off on a limb and say that they're going to play triple the electricity prices that they would if they just went a couple hundred miles east into Nevada to do the same thing. But yeah, somebody mentioned that carbon capture is a myth. And you know, it's yeah, it's I think the why invest in something old and bad when there's you know, it's like, would you would you rather fix a tube TV or buy a new LCD flat screen? It's kind of, like, could you imagine somebody shopping for like a new tube for their projection TV? I don't know. Old technology, it's time to make a move. I think people should be bold and, and embrace the new stuff. Never possible. Yeah, thank you guys. And we know we were late last week. There's always going to be stuff that comes up, but we will try to keep the show on the rails. We'll try to find cool guests. If you have ideas, by the way, you should yes. leave us comments. If if you have ideas of people we should reach out to to see if they'll be on the show, Jordan from Limiting Factor comes to mind. Oh, yeah. There's tons of awesome people that we could potentially reach out to um, and some people that we already know. So that would be fun. Thank you as always for watching and thank you for your support, guys. We appreciate you. We'll see you next week. Yeah. And don't forget to subscribe if you haven't already. We're live every Thursday at 11 a.m. Pacific, 2 p.m. Eastern. And you can always listen to the podcast version at viceversa.show. Thanks again. We'll see you in the next one.